You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We're coming to you from Northern California. We're looking out the window. It looks like it's going to be a nice day. And we're here with you every Wednesday from 7 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time to 8 a.m. And I know this is early for many of us out here on the West Coast. And actually it is. But no matter where you're located, I want to thank you all for listening. We have a really great large listener group, so thank all of you. Today's program offers us information that I wish I'd had about 30 years ago. I had a serious issue with my then teenage son that I didn't know how to solve. I actually spent years trying to fix this issue to no avail. Had I known the information that today's guest is going to share, I suspect that the problem would have been redefined and Dave's behaviors and values would have been reassessed. For me, the question was, and I think many of us ask ourselves these questions, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And again, I love this question because none of us have all the answers to the challenges that come to us in life, and my challenge was totally unknown to me and unexpected, and I certainly didn't know how to answer it, and I did research about it. I tried everything I could afford to help my son. Two issues came up in this process. One, he didn't want help, and two, I couldn't get him out of this environment and away from his peers who were all following the path that all the parents knew would not end happily. I made my son go to therapy. He refused to participate. I reasoned. I bargained. Yes, I even bribed my son to put himself on a different path. But that was to no avail. Back to my earlier question. What do you do when you don't know what to do? I knew to find someone who knew options for the treatments that Michael, my son, needed. I kept getting the same old answer. I bet you're all wondering what the issue was that my son was dealing with, and it was substance abuse. But there was a deeper issue that no one seemed to address. He was physically and emotionally abused by his dad, and that, my dear listeners, is a trauma issue. No one connected the two. The substance use treatment he got but the trauma remained in a festering state deep within him. And in those years, substance abuse treatment alone was the norm. It's what you got. And treatment was not as well done or as encompassing as it is today. And even today, I can say from my own personal experience as a clinician, there's a paucity of therapists who treat substance abuse and trauma at the same time. And actually, it was Michael's gift to me to learn how to do this to become a substance abuse specialist and a trauma specialist. 
Today's guest, Steve Sawyer, provides a myriad of treatment offerings at his new Vision Wilderness Therapy Program. He is Chief Consultant and Co-Founder of New Vision Wilderness, an international brain spotting trainer, and he's a senior trainer, by the way, and the co-author of Heart Math Intervention Program. Welcome, Mr. Sawyer. I guess I'm going to call you Steve, and I have so many questions for you. I hope I can get them all asked before the end of our program. Right. Oh, um, set up a calendar. So I can't really hear you, A building calendar. Um, and put today's so, date on it, um, air conditioning. I think we have some technical difficulties. I want to start keeping but, a record of Would you tell us a little bit about yourself? There's a problem there. Sure, uh, yeah. sure. And thanks, thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, great. I appreciate the opportunity. Huh? And, uh, you know, this is a, a topic that I'm passionate about. And uh, many uh, parents and, and families face this struggle today. I just went into the refrigerator. And so, it seems like it's out. We, we have interference, um, and it's from someone the bathroom, in the background. Even the men's bathroom and I don't know if there's anything today. I can do about it. So keep so talking. And I'll okay. with this. <laughs> All the doors were <laughs> All right. No, no problem. Closed. Um, so, so uh, you know, for, for me, uh, I'm, I'm a, a, a clinician, uh, licensed clinical social worker, and so, duly licensed as a substance abuse counselor. That's my, uh, next to my training and background. Uh, I've been incredibly fortunate to have amazing mentorship along the way by some of the, you know, field's top authorities and continue to network and do events and speak with uh, many of them. And, uh, you know, for me, um, you know, uh, our struggling youth and young adults across the country right now is, is, a, is you know, not just a, a, a job but a passion. And uh, I feel compelled to try to do something about the amount of struggle that's happening. And so, um, you know, I... I've worked in a lot of different clinical settings, everything from outpatient um, therapy sessions all the way up into the intensity of wilderness therapy, which is a pretty extensive intervention process and journey. And, and that's where I, I spend most of my time now. I'm, I, I'm, I do a combination of work in the field and working and training with our clinicians here at New Vision Wilderness, but also you know out speaking and training clinicians across the country and some of the more cutting-edge trauma interventions that uh, I'm certified to train and uh, and pass along. So, you know, that's 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 what I do today and, and uh, continue to get out there and intervene with young people uh, across the country. I want to thank you for doing that because I think there's not that many clinicians who really get out there doing and learn cutting-edge stuff. So, thank you. And, Steve, you spent two decades with tough-to-reach client populations. Please share what that was about with our listeners. Yeah, well, I, you know, uh, beginning in my early clinical career, I, I just gravitated towards working with the clients that were challenging. I think that there are clients that are out there that are coming in much more willing and much more ready for change than what I've worked with throughout my career. And I've done that by choice, probably partially because I was one of those kinds of clients myself. Uh, second being that uh, they really deserve the time and attention, even though they might be frustrating to work with. And so for me, that 
that uh, client that's been through multiple therapists, maybe even multiple treatment programs, is a client I appreciate and like to approach and oftentimes can get results with. And, you know, that's a choice. I think that clinicians kind of find their specialty niche that they work with, et cetera. And for me, it's been from the very beginning that I liked working with the ones that needed it most, but fought receiving it the most also. And so that's that's been where my career really, you know, developed early on with getting these clients that were, you know, I'd seen oftentimes five, six therapists before they got to me. And I think the record at this point is 12 therapists before they got to me. And that was that you know those those individuals needed a, a little different approach, and and I I enjoyed doing it. it you know, it, it requires a different style, and um, also you can't just kind of come from a you know a basic therapy discussion model and expect to get a long ways with them. That is really true because uh, I have found over my time in the, the business of uh, being a psychologist is that um, there's different kinds of learning styles that I think therapy doesn't even reach. There's visual learners, so talk therapy doesn't work so well for them, and then there's experiential learners. You've got to do it in order to get it. And then there's the auditory learners that actually talk therapy is, is aimed toward. And I'm, I'm curious, Steve, from those two decades, tell us the top five things you learned about those who are called the tough to reach. Yeah, well, I I think the the first thing that comes to mind for me and tough to reach, you know, tough, you know, gives us this image of fighting or argumentative, and that sometimes is true. Uh, in fact, the, the toughest are oftentimes not, not the ones that are arguing or refusing to, you know, kind of agree with you. The toughest are the ones that actually just do not engage that shut, use more of a shutdown kind of process to defending themselves. And those are the ones that will refuse to say a word, uh, refuse to acknowledge you. Those are some of the toughest. But when it comes to being tough, I, what I understood very early on with clients that are struggling in therapy and or get labeled this way is that they're just really defended. And, you know, when they're defended, uh, it comes from fear. And a lot of times that fear is based in, you know, not feeling confident that the therapist in front of them can handle the material that they have to work through. You know, the skeletons that they have in their closet that that they're going to scare the therapist off. And early on, being able to figure out that, that tough-to-reach defended mode really needed to be met with a pretty courageous therapist. So the more present I am, uh, you know, the more uh, the more my ability to kind of convene confidence to them, but with care and compassion and empathy, the, the more likely that they're going to step into working with me. And so, you know, really... Uh, kind, soft, touchy-feely, gentle, or somebody who's like this often equates to someone who might not be able to handle what I'm about to tell them if I was to tell them my my full truth that I'm, you know, containing inside. You know, the graphicness of maybe my trauma or the the 
substantial means, maybe I've went in my substance use to harm myself, that that therapist is going to recoil and pull away. And so uh, for me, tough to reach means defended and needing a strong, confident presence in front of them that's also confident that they have something to offer the client. So there's that. that's the second part. It's not just being confident as an individual, but having something that you feel very confident is going to have impact and that they're going to feel the impact quickly. So tough-to-reach clients need to be able to have means to feel therapy quicker than other ones. And so, and this, this is not I feel statements like they teach in grad school. This is, you know, techniques that are based upon science and our advancing understanding of psychotherapy and somatic kind of physical based experiences where they're like, they can feel something happening when you're leading them through the process. And when that happens, they, they can earn that and get that trust much more rapidly. Uh, I, I think that's such a talent, Steve, because uh, I know that I've dealt with teens in my career and a lot of them hate me, but after I just listen to them for a while and not interrupt, for starters, I've had so much feedback from them like, oh my God, this is the best um, meeting ever, even though I don't like you. <laughs> and I, I say, well, what made it so great? And many of them say, because you didn't interrupt me, you just listened. And yep. I have had yep. the most provocative things said to me said to me years ago I had a sixteen year old who hated me with just a passion and I had a fifty minute individual session with her and for five minutes picture this listeners five minutes nothing was said between us. So I just um uh didn't know what to do about that, and we'll come back to the end of that story. But listeners, right now we have to take a break, and we will be back to you in a few moments. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are so lucky to be here with Steve Sawyer. And he is um, the co-founder of New Vision Wilderness, and we're talking about the hard to reach. <laughs> and I was saying before the break that I had this girl who was so provocative. She said, I'm going to get with every guy in my high school, and I'm going to get pregnant, and I'm going to steal. And I didn't say a word. I just let her go. And at the end of our time, she said, thank you, that was really great. And she really did turn herself around, and I imagine, Steve, you have many such experiences. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that even in your story there, and, and, and one of my points behind, you know, these five things of working with Tough to Reach Youth is that the behavior is not the roots of what's really going on. You know, it's something that I really learned along the way. Uh, in this young lady, there was something far deeper that's pushing her to find her value in all these boys that she's chasing in her school. And, you know, when it, when it comes to uh, somebody who's being difficult in a therapeutic journey, most of the time it's indicator of some level of, of emotional pain that's beyond the behavior. And... You know, it sometimes it takes some work to be able to get them to reveal what that truly is at that time. But almost always there's a deeper rooted kind of painful issue underneath it. And so things like anger or resistance in therapy are really just indicators. They're symptoms of, of pain that are, are underlying, uh, and our job is to try to get access to that. And, you know, I, I think one of the the other parts I would I would add, you know, to kind of make my fifth point around you know, it's tough to reach clientele is mm-hmm. is that I was taught early on by a mentor that for teens to really respect us and to really uh, want to step into looking at themselves, that they have to be challenged. Now, this isn't challenged like you know I, I yell at you or I tell you you're doing something bad. It's it's really about challenging them with reality and being able to show them reality. And you, know, you mentioned different learning styles and stuff like that. Uh, that's one thing I love about wilderness therapies. We can use all of them, even all at the same time, is that we need to create an environment in the therapeutic journey that they, 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 they feel like there's some work to it, that there's some challenge, that I'm making them think about something in a way that they haven't thought about it so far. And again, that challenge is what creates and builds respect because now you have something to offer them. And so, you know, challenge is a part of that therapeutic journey. And, and the, the, the term I, we like to use is uh, radical candor. <laughs> but I'm being very <laughs> candid with you 
and I'm being radical about it, and I'm being very, very clear with you based upon the reality of the situation that you're in at this time, and I'm being candid with you about what the outcome or what, what that's looking like for that individual. And so, and, and it's always done with empathy and care, uh, love and compassion, but, but that it, that it has a, 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 a reality setting tone to it, that we're, we're, we're putting some pressure on the current situation and that we're not just sitting in therapy and kind of talking and, uh, and hanging out. I think one of, I'd say the last, and this is the fifth point, which is tough to reach populations, uh, the idea of like being a friend. I often run into this with, you know, therapists that work with students who receive a new vision where, you know, they've done this friend approach. I'm going to be this, this young adult or this teen's buddy. Uh, that, that's going to invoke some form of pain, but I always train my staff and uh, clinicians across the country that your, your therapeutic relationship is only at the level of value that you're able to stretch that relationship. Because if we're not stretching that relationship, we're not going to have change. And so we have to, we have to really have a relationship that has that challenge component to it, but also caring and compassion and eventually built that bond. But oftentimes the youth I'm working with or young adults I'm working with, that bond doesn't formulate until that relationship has been stretched a few times and they see some value in that relationship because otherwise it's just an obstacle. And so when you, when you start to become valuable because you show them something in a different light, now you actually have a true authentic relationship. So these are, I'd say, you know, the five key things I've, I've experienced in working with these, this talk to reach group and, and understanding that it's really a defended space and it's usually based in pain. Yes, and I want to say uh, a parenthetical word to parents out there because I deal with parents also. Um, parents, your job is not to be the friend. Your job is to be the parent. And when you have an interaction with your young adults or actually even adults, keep it short People have about, at max, a two-minute attention span. So having the heart-to-heart talk for an hour with your young adults or your teen, they're going to tune you out, you'll be tired, and they'll go out and get high. Anyway, that's my experience. <laughs> Do you have any yeah. comments to that, Steve? No, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think in today's society where there's a lot of stress, uh, and I think that parents are afraid of, we've seen an overdevelopment of permissive parenting, meaning that, uh, you know, they're, they're permissive in their style and not assertive, uh, and oftentimes don't even have a sense of being an authority figure, where they're really at the same playing field as their child. And that, that in and of itself creates a lot of problems, and, and, and also automatically sets up the relationship that boundaries don't matter. So, if you give me a rule and we're at the same level, it doesn't really apply to me. If, if, if there's some respect and there is an understanding that this is a, a relationship that I do have authority in, in your life, then the, the response to boundaries and being told not to do something have meaning and value. And yeah. I think this is very common. We run into this so often where parents have not put the boundaries clear and concise and enforce them by time uh, the students are getting to us in our program. I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm going to put in a shameless plug because it's all spelled out in my books about contracts and how to enforce them. And by the way, 
if you parents don't, if you set a boundary and you don't respect it because you cave in or get talked out of it, you're teaching the person that you're trying to give a boundary to not to respect it because you don't. And I think that's a really a profound thought that, that parents and other caregivers need to focus on. Now, Steve, if some of our listeners have teens or young adults in their life who are difficult, what would you advise them to do? I know we've touched on that a little bit, but what else? Anything else? Yeah, I think uh, a big thing that comes up for me in working with families that have kind of progressed down the road to where they're needing intensive intervention is that Intervening early is important, and I, I often see where families are in this cycle where there will be something that causes them to want to move towards intervention. I'm, okay, that enough is enough. Now we're going to do something. And then the, the child curbs their behavior just enough that they're like, okay, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll wait till, you know, we'll see what happens again. And I've seen parents stay in the cycle with their child for years if they do it again, if they do it again, if they do it again, and, and a lot of times uh, the adults or teens have been running that line of intervention for, for years before it happens. And, you know, I, I kind of go back to, you know, old times, you know, when, when we were tribe people that, you know, when somebody was struggling, it wasn't wrong to go and get support from an elder and so often people are waiting until things are so eroded in both relationships but also in behavior and in, in like the example you share with your son with drugs I think it's so far along that it takes three times as much energy to kind of get the situation corrected versus if they'd had some discussions earlier on with somebody that was supporting them and so intervening earlier does not make things worse. It, it, it helps it helps the intervention work more effectively, and you don't have to go to the extensive nature of intervention if you if you do it early on. Um, the second thing I was going to say with that is that you know what happens is parents kind of set their bar bar high for their child early on. Uh, they're excited for them; they, they see their potential, so they have their bar set at a certain level in terms of I want them to reach this kind of state of education or their life, etc. And as things erode, parents kind of keep lowering their bar, lower and lower in terms of expectations, boundaries and rules, and even just basic performance, you know, to the point where I see parents get to where if they can get their kid out of bed and eat dinner, it's like a day one. And, and, and that's, you know, that happens over time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's day after day of that of that child pulling their bar down, uh, that parents get fatigued and lower their bar. And so the way we do that is we enforce boundaries, you know. I'm going to have to interrupt us because we're coming up on a hard break, but I want us to come back to this topic because it's so important. Listeners, we will be back with Mr. Steve Sawyer in a few moments.
The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ian's Relationship Radio. We are here this morning, so fortunate to have uh, Mr. Stephen Sawyer with us from New Vision Wellness Therapy. And before the break, Steve, we were talking about boundaries. Is there anything else that you want to add? Yeah, I, I think the, the last part I would add on to, you know, what we're talking about of integrating early and, and, of course, boundaries is being healthy and having a healthy household is a boundary. And when a child goes outside of that boundary, the expectation and the enforcement that they receive help is reasonable. And oftentimes the thing that holds people back is this idea that if I force them to get help, will they actually receive it? And again, that's up to the practitioner or the person, you know, who's in front of that child's job to, to, to make it create value. But enforcing that, that treatment is occurring is a reasonable expectation. So that's the last piece I would say on it. And as an aside to that, I will tell you, this is what I had to do. I took all three of my kids, including the person with the substance abuse issue, to therapy, and they would not participate. So they needed you. I didn't know you then. (laughs) (laughs) You've worked in residential treatment facilities, and I think a lot of us don't really know what those do. So please describe for us. What happens there inside of a treatment facility, a residential treatment facility? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of different residential treatment programs out there, and all of them have a little bit different way of working. The overall premise, though, is that that the individual cannot 
get into treatment or stay in treatment by being in their home environment for whatever reason. So you, you gave an example of your child who was really engaged with unhealthy peer group mm-hmm. and, 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 be, and unable to separate from that. So if we put them inside of a residential treatment program, they're living there and receiving treatment, we're able to control the environment a little bit more uh, or even a lot more. And so... There are various forms of residential treatment, but it's really the, the, the crossover from maybe an intensive outpatient program, which is an outpatient therapy program where there's, you know, three, four times a week where they're having one-on-one sessions and group therapy. Residential is now that in an environment where most of them, they're still receiving schoolwork or doing schoolwork. They're, they're really in their role, their job role in life. You know, as a teenager or a young adult where they're, they're working on education, but they're also getting regular group therapy and individual therapy in that environment. So that's usually where, where, where residential treatment kind of comes in. And ours is a notch even more immersed in that, in that wilderness therapy is a form of residential treatment where they live with us, but they're actually living on an expedition when they're back, you know, in the backcountry backpacking. Uh, and they're even more cut off from modern technology like TV shows and things like that, whereas in a residential treatment they have some of those modern conveniences, even of a bed and, and those kinds of things. In wilderness therapy, uh, that's all kind of pulled away, and they're in a backcountry backpacking experience. Well, we're going to come back to wilderness therapy because I am a huge fan of it. I, and I just want to say a great many of my patients go to residential care for chemical dependency issues and sometimes dual issues. And this is what happened to my son because he went to residential care. And after 30 days, he came back to our neighborhood, which was a really nice neighborhood. And uh, he repeated what he did that got him in residential care in the first place. Do you think residential care makes a difference? And if so, I know you said a little bit about this, but... How do you think that we can help our, our people who have been to residential care and come out after 30 days, which, by the way, I don't like that number of days. It's a huge relapse time. But how can we help them succeed after residential care? Well, I agree with you. I, I think that 30 days to me uh, is very short. I would call a 30-day program an intervention. And so... Yes. The idea is that this person is not far enough in the trenches that just kind of a little bit of a wake-up call experience and then kind of coming back and refocusing back in a level of care back at home with an outpatient therapist or intensive outpatient program is going to be enough. I think that oftentimes what happens is that people are intervening so late in the process that a 30-day intervention is not going to be enough. And I think that it's you can look at the situation and see the intensity of it and know that 30 days is not going to work in a lot of these cases. And and so the hope that it will work is often based upon the comfort of a parent feeling comfortable with their kids, uh, their young adult or their, their adolescent leaving for 30 days. I can stomach my child being away from me for 30 days. Oftentimes that is driven by the parent's needs and not what the, what the client actually needs. And so, to me, that's the key variable. So what can we do to make it you know, more effective or better is making sure that we're making a very clear assessment on what's reasonable for the amount of work that's needed in terms of the amount of time, the amount of sessions, 
and are needed to cover the work that's going to happen. And and we're talking about, for example, in this program a lot about somebody who has a substance abuse issue and trauma. Well, those are two very distinct issues. Now, they overlap with each other, but each one of them is going to need a lot of time and attention to be treated. And so, to me, you know, somebody with that kind of a description is going to need most likely more than 30 days because just 30 days, even on one of those topics, is a scratch at the surface. So I think assessment of the level of care is a, is a, a key variable in that. Uh, in addition to, you know, having really strong resources set up and being worked on the entire time they're in treatment that they're coming out to, uh, that this isn't just a, you know, come home, be home for a couple of weeks, then get back into the swing of things, that it's all set up. They literally step right back into it when they come back, and oftentimes I see parents delay that process. You know, and, and, and in our realm of care, our private kind of care line of work, there's longer-term experiences, which are, you know, involve things sometimes like therapeutic boarding schools and residential treatment programs that are extending the period of time that they have to kind of in, you know, really kind of absorb the work that they've done and 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 work their way through it. And you know, some of those longer-term options, you know, have significant impact on outcome. Yes, and I wish that I could have put my son away for. His whole teenage life, once I discovered that he was into drugs, it was like, I don't know what else to do, but if I could find you a niche. <laughs> and, and he was in a 30-day program and came back out and did the same thing he always did. Now, you are the clinical director and co-founder of New Vision Wilderness Therapy, of which I've already said I'm a huge, huge fan. And it's this type of therapy, as I said, that I didn't, it wasn't well known all those years ago when my son needed help. Explain the wilderness therapy to us. Yeah, you bet. Well, it's really, first of all, wilderness therapy is kind of viewed as an alternative therapy option. So much like a person who has uh, maybe chronic pain issues can go to an acupuncturist, it's, it's not the standard care that you would receive if you go to the medical system, right? They would... They would, it's a, it's an, it's an option that, you know, is, is a choice that a person makes to use. And in wilderness therapy, we're, we're an alternative option to even the residential care where somebody can kind of get done with their group therapy that night, sit down on a couch and watch their favorite TV show. In wilderness therapy, they're on an expedition. Now, there are different styles of wilderness therapy programs. Ours, uh, is, is a immersion experience where they're on a backpacking expedition and and a backpacking expedition generally is made up of usually anywhere be, you know between six, eight and nine students and three field guides that are are trained in wilderness first responders, their uh, counseling skills, kind of basic uh, training in that arena. And then there's a clinician that's working with them on that journey too. Clinicians go in and out of the field, but the the field staff rotate on a, a staff rotation of eight days on, six days off, and they are out in the woods for their entire time. Our average length of stay is, you know, anywhere between seventy and ninety days. And yeah, so they're really immersed. And the alternative aspect of it is that. They're in, uh, they're kind of on an adventure. 
And so because they're out in the woods and we don't have TV and these other things, there's a lot of experiential games going on. There's a lot of relationship formulation in this kind of sincere way where they get to know each other really well and deeply. And in that, we can utilize that milieu, we call it, that, that group feel to really help intervene with a student. And for teens and young adults, it's very powerful because oftentimes by time uh, they're getting therapeutic intervention, they're fairly isolated. And this really breaks that isolation and aloneness that they've been immersed in. They, they feel a part of something. And oftentimes they'll initially find it or they'll be afraid of it or not like it. And then by the end of the process, you you can see them just advance into being uh, deeply invested in, in the connection to their group and to their staff. And so that's the, the basics of it. You know, then we have the, the, the clinical processes that are going on along with this adventure. And we do things, too, uh, occasionally with expeditions, caving, uh, fishing expedition, canoe trips, uh, river rafting, rock climbing. These are all things that happen, uh, you know, on and off throughout the expedition. It's not a regular uh, regimen in our program. There are some that do even more of that, but we really believe in the, the therapeutic group time together um, in that immersed wilderness experience as our kind of core principle. So, yeah, and it becomes like a family, doesn't it? it? It does. It becomes a really tight-knit group where, you know, and they're working through hard things, so the intimacy is very uh, extensive. And, uh, you know, it's it's an environment where we can really work on fracturing that isolation that goes either with addiction or trauma. Both are very isolative experiences, and they really reconnect to people with a, through a healthy format that our staff are ensuring uh, all of the time. The staff are right there, or rule of staff is eyes on, ears on 100% of the time. They're able to hear the conversation and make sure it stays healthy because part of treatment is that they might start to go in an unhealthy direction and they need to have some of that radical candor we discussed earlier to bring them back on track in their talking and discussion. Yeah. And I, I know that um, wilderness therapy is caught on more than it ever was. And we're coming up on a hard break, by the way, but I just wanted to ask you, what got you interested in this type of therapy? Yeah, uh, I was an outpatient clinician, like many therapists are, for, for uh, a lot of years. And I just, to reach these tough-to-reach clientele that we're talking about, I just wanted to change the paradigm. And, 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 and it just changed a lot when we could change the environment and, and turn it into an adventure experience. And uh, that's how I really got into it. And, and, you know, I started with small weekend retreats that then advanced into extensive, you know, year-round, 365 days of the year programming where expeditions are out in the woods. I, I'm so thankful to you for doing this work. And I, uh, for our listeners, and we have about 30 seconds before we break, I just want to say, if you don't remove from the environment whoever it is you're concerned about, they're going to go right back to it unless they have a really altering experience. And I just can't say enough about wilderness therapy. And on that note, listeners, we're going to take a break, and we will be right back with Steve Sawyer. I'm going to skip the scribe for us, the typical day musicians, because of time. Yep, yep. 
Jackson from? We, we kind of already did that. Yeah, I covered some of it. Yeah. But it's fast, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, an hour. <laughs> yeah, it does go very quickly. have about 10 minutes when we come back and we have to uh, get all of this in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can <laughs> speed it up through some of this stuff. Well, in fact, you know, you could, you know what you could skip? Uh, you could skip the uh, trigger release thing and just go to brain spotting because uh, it's they're kind of together and I don't do much of that okay. work anymore. That's kind of old. Oh, okay. That was off your website. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Back once more to Dr. Dean's Relationship Radio. We are so fortunate today to have Steve Sawyer with us from um, New Vision Wilderness Therapy. And Steve, you're specialized in a lot of different modalities, but the one I really want to focus on is brain spotting. And you do that at your program, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. What, and uh, What is it? Yeah, so brain spotting is is a very powerful therapeutic modality that utilizes utilizes the science of the relationship between the, the client and the therapist paired with uh, also with the science of the eyes that we're working on the physiology of, of the stress response in an individual. So... When people are under stress, they will tend to respond in a fight, flight, or, or freeze mode, uh, mode of operation. We have added a couple more on in modern science of trauma work. But it's really about um, 
getting into the physiology of what's held in the body. And so we really have a body focus paired with this relationship attunement experience that tends to get access to very deep and even very old memories that are related to what's going on with that person's stress about what they're currently stressed about. So it really digs for the roots of what's going on with the situation. If I have a uh, an anxiety about something happening, that it goes to where that very first began and where it's really programmed into our nervous system. So it's a it's a deep physiological and physical experience paired with uh, the the work on memories, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you see that benefiting your clientele? Well, it's it, it's it's pretty impactful. We have clients tell us all the time how much it's impacted them uh, and how effective it was for them. And uh, it really can bring relief rapidly. So I was talking about that earlier on with these tough-to-reach client populations where having mm-hmm. a therapy they can feel is working in front of them. This is what we experience with brain spotting oftentimes. Very, I would say very rapid uh, results that have a physical component to them so they can sense it working in that they can feel themselves calming down right out of the backside of those sessions oftentimes. So their ability to get regulated from being dysregulated or uh, upset and aggravated to a place of peace and calmness is pretty rapid and oftentimes it does have results within one session. That's amazing. And on average, I'm curious about how many sessions of brain spotting do your clients receive before they notice a change in themselves? Yeah, it really uh, varies. So, I mean, brain spotting is one of the tools in our toolbox. We do a lot of, you know, narrative therapy and other forms of therapeutic work that are, you know, towards trauma and addictions work. But uh, it depends on the kind of work they need to do. So if they have, you know, a series of traumas to work through, for example, they'll, they'll receive, you know, brain spotting maybe on each one. Uh, it depends on what the client's kind of physiology needs also because it's a, a, a somatic-based experience. And so, uh, you know, some clients will have two sessions of brain spotting because that's, it took them a while to get ready to do it before they really want to face something that they want to work on with it. And then there's others that, that might do eight uh, of those sessions in the span of time with us. Uh, and it really is individualized towards that client's need and their their therapeutic kind of goals, if that makes sense. It does. And, I, and listeners, I can attest to this. I'm a certified brain spotting therapist. It really amazingly works. But Steve, next I want to switch from brain spotting to traumatic memory reprocessing because you do that also. And what is that and how does it help the folks you treat? Yeah, well, uh, I was trained in some models, uh, you know, that go back quite a ways on being able to work through memories and really kind of target in on aspects of that memory that have uh, a physical charge to them. And this kind of ties into some of the thematic trigger release kinds of work I do, et cetera. Most of my traumatic memory reprocessing processing work I do now is done with the use of brain spotting. So I'm using brain spotting and the traumatic memory kind of systems of, of working through a memory uh, inside of a brain spotting session. So it's really about being able to release the charge that the body holds. And brain spotting by itself does that, but there are some ways that we can use brain spotting very strategically within that and 
you know, I have some specialty work workshops on like developmental trauma work with brain spotting, and uh, and and so those, those are you know parts of you know bringing two models of work together really. Okay, and then there's a treatment you call heart math, and I just love the name. What's that? Yeah, so uh, anybody who's interested in HeartMath can look it up. It's uh, HeartMath.com and HeartMath.org. Are, uh, it's based out of a stress research institute that's based out of the Santa Cruz Mountains out in Boulder Creek, California. Um, I'm one of their faculty. They're one of the most cutting-edge kind of emotional physiology research institutes in the world, and they have really simple-to-use self-regulation techniques that are really built upon science and the science of the heart. Uh, the heart is really an epicenter of our electricity in our body, and when we work with our heart, there's a lot that can happen. And you have uh, easy-to-use technology that you can see if you're shifting your stress state, uh, and it's really effective. I just finished recording for four full days with them a larger tra- trauma resilience program that is really focused on being able to utilize their self-regulation techniques specific in trauma treatment. And... Uh, their work is fantastic. Uh, they've got great technology, and it works fantastic for for youth because uh, they can actually see when they're doing something um, on the technology if they use it. And we use the technology oh, in the wilderness some, but only on occasion. So I'm gonna I'm gonna refer all of my patients to that uh, website. So uh, I also believe that Movies in the Wilderness has three locations and that it's growing. What are the current locations? Yeah, so we have uh, one location is in Bend, Oregon, and we have five field operations around field operations areas around Bend, Oregon, Medford, Wisconsin, and in North Central Wisconsin, we work in the Shawamigan National Forest there, and then in North Carolina, we're based out of Asheville, and we operate, you know, in the uh, Smoky Mountains, and it's just it's amazing. All three locations have their unique features and beauty. I, I bet, and I hear from the grapevine that you're considering some new locations. What are you considering? Well, North Carolina was actually the, the newest location. Uh, we opened that this last year and, and kind of continuing to forge forward there. And, uh, you know, we started out with just young adults at that program, and now we're, we're adding in uh, teens there. That should be wrapped up here relatively soon and, and be accepting uh, all the wide range of clients there. We have about three minutes. I can hardly believe we have just left, so I'm going to race through some of my questions that occur to me as we go. So, so that our listeners will know, what's the average price of 30 days of treatment at your New Vision Wilderness facility? Yeah, it's expensive. It's an alternative care option, right? It's 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 based upon the day, so it's per day, and, and we don't have you know our our shortest length of stay is 45 days, and it's. Five ninety five a day, so it's uh, it's you know it's definitely an investment. We do get some uh, insurance reimbursement for some people. It depends on their program, and it depends on how uh, aggressive they are at pursuing their insurance and advocating for their care to be covered. But we do provide them with some tools to be able to do some of that, and we also have scholarship options and things like that. Okay, and. Um you have canine therapy, which is a thing close to my heart in your wilderness program. Uh, explain yeah. canine therapy. <laughs> yeah, we, we have uh, uh, canine in every expedition where uh, students rotate and each day have to take on the role of, of caretaking that canine. 
and uh, training, uh, grooming, feeding, and uh, and they really have to work through a lot of relationship struggle when they're in the wilderness expedition. They have to caretake a dog who wants to maybe go chase a squirrel or whatever. They learn a lot of communication skills, assertiveness, communication, etc. Oh, I just love that idea. And you've written two books. And what are their names? What are they about? Yeah. And how yeah, can they so, so, so they're more clinical. <laughs> yeah, they're more like clinical manuals. So I have a, a motivational enhancement, uh, motivational interviewing adolescent facilitation manual for groups. And uh, that was published a while back. A little hard to get a hands on now. Um, the publisher has kind of been uh, problematic. but uh, And then the Heart Math Interventions Program was the other key authoring, and, and that was, you know, really a big, it's an online webinar training module that people can go through. And I, I wrote a lot of the materials and case studies and um, and systems for treatment in that, and that Heart Math Interventions module are, you know, is available right through their website, uh, heartmath.org. Okay, now I went on your new vision of wellness website, and there are fabulous videos of what your therapies entail. In fact, the videos make your experiences with your clientele look so inviting and rewarding. I found myself wanting to sign up. And speaking of that, <laughs> how can people get in contact with you? We have about 30 seconds left. Yeah, you bet. So, uh, so we have a very specific admissions line that they can call at any time. And, and, and admissions can funnel people if they want to speak specifically to me, but that number is 855-689-8326. And my email address is just S. Sawyer, so like Steve Sawyer, so S. Sawyer, so two S's, at nvwild.com. And our website is... Yep. And, and our website is just newvisionwilderness.com, and you can always contact us straight through that website also. I cannot thank you enough for your service to you provide children and teens and young adults. And honestly, Steve, it's been an honor to have you on our radio program. Listeners, if you have what seems like insurmountable challenges with your child, teen, or young adult, I honestly cannot think of a better way to address the problems than being out in the wilderness with therapists who actually live with their clients. And as I said, I wish I'd known about this when my oldest son was having problems. Until next week, when faced with a challenge, think outside of the solution box, and remember, only you can make your world the way you want it to be. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.